0: hello and welcome to the lavender menace i am your co-host renaissance marie my pronouns are they them i am an airy sun gemini moon Virgo rising and it is spring break baby oh my gosh you sound like
1: allison raskin (laughs) oh my god we are sons of jbu we are sons of just between us it's true okay i'm sunny i'm your other co-host also use they them she here for lesbians is okay and i am a cancer Sun, capricorn moon gemini rising so that's my sleigh and what we mean by we are sons of jbu is that so if you don't know just between us is the comedy duo of alison raskin and gabby dunn who are you probably know from like 2015 buzzfeed but they had their own like youtube channel and now they have a podcast and they just talk about like mental health things and gabby is like bisexual and like really open about it and like polly and like that's their sleigh and then Allison is like the straight, really neurotic girl, right? Like OCD sleigh, But basically for us, uh, and they're both Geminis too. So, you know, the Gemini placement sleigh. But the thing is, is that I was looking through my YA book collection the other day. And if you follow me on Instagram, you would also know this. But, you know, anyway, so this duo, Allison, Raskin, and Gabby Don, published two books together and they're both YA novels in like epistolary style called i hate everyone but you and i forgot the title of the second book but basically it's sort of these two long-distance best friends one of them in california one of them in boston that's us by the way (laughs) it's so weird it's so (laughs) weird it's about them communicating with each other via like the internet emails about their lives yeah like about their like respective like love lives and like friendships and you know what they're doing and shit and like their best friends you know long it's just like
0: so parallel to and us self inserts for Allison and Gabby yeah. too which like yeah, we yeah. we're both like a combination but we like we reflect yeah. them at all times yeah. one of us yeah. for the other <laughs> so it's just like yeah like Gabby it's- and Allison are like our millennial counterparts <laughs>
1: Yeah. Actually,
0: they're our like,
1: millennial white
0: Jewish counterpart.
1: No, they're like there are mothers, I fear. Like they're giving mothers. So anyway, that's the preface. Oh, also some housekeeping things. Patreon, um, you know, we have bonus episodes there twice a month, inshallah. Um <laughs> right now we have the Euphoria season two uh episode up. And it's just basically for you know extra content and other things that we watch together and consume together that doesn't fit or isn't part of the you know our regular podcast. But also, there's usually like a one dollar tier, but that was supposed to be for Red Taylor's version's release, and it's been a while since then. So I think we're gonna change it to like a three dollar amount bottom tier, uh, because that's what Patreon recommends. Honestly, they usually don't want you to to have a tier anything below like two dollars, and it's just like. So anyway, I'm really sorry for any of the $1 patrons who can't stay, but also I do hope that other people can join if you want to support us and you want to like access other content, ex- extra content, like all of our previous, you know, like bloopers and like Patreon exclusive like videos and- As if we don't have so much free content. <laughs> I like know. the amount of free like, content TikTok- we have. And-
0: it's kind
1: of yeah. like, I think we're also going to be starting like writing short essays and stuff um, and more coherent, like sort of written text and more maybe like compilations of things that we've referenced and stuff like that on Patreon as well. If you want to access that, go ahead. But anyway, those are the podcast things before we get into the episode. But uh, we have a really exciting episode this this week for the hot takes we have some emails from listeners and also like you don't have to email us if you don't want to like if you want to just submit a hot take you can hit us up on any on any platform basically but it is nice to get emails um so yeah we have a few for for you guys that are somewhat that should be relevant uh (laughs) then we're gonna go into our shared media portion as we usually do and this week we watched we binge watched season one of russian doll which was crazy and like really really interesting so we're going to talk about that yes and then of course as usual we we will be recommending each other pieces of media at the end of the episode so um let's get into it uh which hot take should we do the one with the tiktok song
0: I was I was gonna ask if if we if that oh my god
1: right okay
0: because I feel like I really accidentally spearheaded that (laughs) (laughs) unintentionally and I feel like it's only right that I I do some follow-up even though I don't want to well I'm happy to do it on the podcast I don't want to touch it again on tiktok
1: on fucking tiktok yeah it takes years off of my life no, anytime we engage with TikTok discourse, it's very not slay. It's the opposite of slay for us. You know what I mean? It's, it's like whatever it's called when you keep
0: on doing something that you know will have a negative effect on you. like Insanity? Yeah, basically. It's just like, I know. But the thing about TikTok is, is that you never know. When something is going to go viral, what's going to go viral, and to what extent. Do you want to read the email?
1: Yeah, so Elizabeth said the subject of the email is hot take that TikTok song. This hot take is about our least favorite new song by Savannah underscore Santos on TikTok. As I'm writing this, 35 minutes ago, she posted the new lyric version where she changed it to "thought I was only into girls." I mean, I was like for a second, but she left the rest the same. Okay, context: There's this TikTok song that's going viral that's like, can hey, we um, like leave I a like space to to yeah. like edit it in so you can like edit in
0: the audio? Should we play it on the, on the <laughs> trigger I feel warning? Like we the worst shouldn't
1: subject" <laughs> our audiences do that i feel like no one needs to hear this okay but basically, true. We're being like i'm not a full-on raging lesbo yeah and that's, that's like,
0: those the, really rig- the original the original lyrics yeah. had raging lesbo in it and she thought that it was fine and no one would <laughs> yeah
1: like what anyway so elizabeth says in the video she said it expresses my queerness it doesn't have to express yours and that quote that is a beautiful thing about art quote putting a lot of this information so y'all don't have to torture your ears and kill more brain cells by listening to that song again (laughs) obviously renaissance already spoke on this on tiktok and i feel like they captured it really well the whole issue is pretty over discussed at this point since lesbophobia is literally everywhere in the society so feel free to completely ignore this if you feel like it (laughs) however i think i speak for more one person when i say that the problems with that song cannot be fixed by a simple lyric change it's the normalizing lesbophobia and the idea that we just need to find the right man and that being a lesbian is out because switching it up is what's hot about 2022 the changed lyric version is even more insidious than the original because apparently lesbophobia is fine as long as you don't use a slur, what the fuck. <laughs> this song deeply disturbs me even without the slur because every day I have to listen to shit from my mom about how maybe I just haven't found the right man or you could still be bisexual or you haven't really tried men so you don't really know. Turns out coming out as a lesbian is, is a lot harder than coming out as a bisexual. I used to uh, identify as bisexual, blame the comp I'm tired of people saying actively harmful lesbophobic things because it represents their own experience experience. Well, if it represents you so well, maybe you should just keep it to yourself. Sorry, this is so long. I got a little carried away. I love the podcast and I hope you'll have a good day. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. And I'm sorry that your mom does that to you. It's very annoying to be an ex sexual current lesbian. Like we get the struggle, I fear. It's very not, it's not it, you know? But yeah, no, I think that all the points you made were, it's exactly that. And yeah, well, Renaissance, what did you say on TikTok for those of our listeners who don't, who aren't on that hell app and who, or who don't like, you know, follow you there. (laughs) The first
0: TikTok that I made was like, just text over the video playing. Where I said like the Uh listening to the song feels like when you swallow a chip the wrong way and it like hurts in your throat as you swallow it. Because she's talking to her mom in the song. It's a really weird song, but she's talking to her mom in the song, and then she's like, Oh, I'll marry a man to like make you happy because you're so upset that I'm gay or whatever. If you find a man who has like this trait, this trait, this trait. And then like the whole like punchline reveal of the song is like, if you can find me a man who's like a woman, then I'll marry him. And it's just like, ugh, the song like makes me uncomfortable, whatever. And then people were like, oh my gosh, yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. And then I stitched it on the podcast account where I was like, okay, this is actually like why it's bad. Like, yes, this is a slur, but like what these lyrics actually mean is is bad. Yeah. Yeah, like the
1: story of the song is harmful. Yeah.
0: Then Savannah made of an original apology, which I never saw and someone's like oh she made apology and like deleted it within five minutes then she made a second apology that one i did see and i stitched it on our account where she says that she starts with saying she's a queer woman then she says she's a lesbian but then she says she's not a lesbian because her partner is non-binary and that really got people's feathers ruffled let me tell you i mean myself included. Right, right, right. but like yeah. the the girls were out for bl- well i guess not the girls that's the whole point but people were out for, blood <laughs> <laughs> for that Witches
1: one. is were uh, yeah jumped on her ass i fear
0: yeah big time on that one and then savannah deleted that one and then posted another quote unquote apology that was just like text over uh black screen or whatever mm. basically mm-hmm. saying like she learned like she talked to other lesbians and she was wrong or whatever but then as we right. learned from this email didn't really change anything didn't really internalize what was wrong about the song if all that was learned was about the slur it was basically just like a roast sesh and people in the comment section were agreeing with me for the first time ever on her TikTok comment section, really <laughs> roasting the oh. Savannah. I didn't want it to get too out of hand because apparently she posted on her TikTok that she was like getting like death threats. Right. And I like, don't condone that but roasting mm-hmm. very much appropriate to the situation right so that's that's a little recap that's what you missed on glee over here if you were not <laughs> following from the posting then in the comment section other people were asking questions about other like queer related topics and then i was also making videos replying to their comments so it also just kind of opened the floodgates for yeah. what's a lesbian anyway
1: <laughs> <Basically>, yeah <laughs>
0: like, like
1: 101 intro no. to the
0: lesbian community there are just so many people who don't know any lesbians for better or for worse that also means that they don't know Definitely. what is harmful to the yeah. lesbian community and sometimes yeah. that's for the better because then they never think to do something that's harmful to the community and it just never comes up and sometimes right. it's for worse where you they get are shit like this yeah where this happens
1: yeah, no, that's annoying. But anyway, that take, I think, has been beaten to death. So let's go on to another email from Ezra. Ezra says, can men slay sometimes as a treat in the subject of the email? <laughs> Hi, Sunny and Renaissance. I'm a 15 year old lesbian and I adore the podcast. You are to me what the Red Scare podcast is to annoying people, meaning you two are my problematic faves. <laughs> Ooh. I'm not quite sure how to phrase my question as a hot take, but do you think men can succeed at telling lesbian stories? I know that many people are averse to lesbian films directed by men and for good reason, but my personal two favorite lesbian movies are Mulholland Drive and The Handmaiden, which I think Sunny mentioned loving at some point, Uh, Yeah, (laughs) which are both directed by cis men but some of my lesbian friends get kind of pissed off when I say this. I just think that they both capture my feelings and experiences as being a lesbian better than most lesbian films directed by women. Is this problematic? And what are your thoughts? Can men slay on occasion? Sorry this email was way too long. Love y'all. P.S. I'm not sure if you take suggestions for your shared media segments, but I think a discussion on Stone Butch Blues would be very interesting. So... Thank you for the email, Ezra. Um, And with the Stone Butch Blues thing, I feel like it's such a heavy piece of text. Like, it's such a heavy book. And it's such a seminal, like, queer theory thing. I feel like so many other people have talked about it in a more interest. Like, it's literally taught in, like, fucking schools. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's whole seminars on that shit. So I don't know how... How interesting our takes on it would be, especially considering how we never... Most of the media that we discuss seems... is It's pretty, like, you know, like, recent stuff and more... And not and not as, like, heavy, I guess. I don't know. In terms of the things that we've... The pieces of media that we've looked at. and But I don't know. We'll see. Because, like, even the theory and stuff that we reference, it's usually within, like, the hot takes and less so the media that we consume. So, I don't know. I mean... Thank you for the recommendation. I've been hearing it since I was like 14. So, you know, <laughs> and you're 15. So that's kind of crazy.
0: The fact that a 15 year old relates to Handmaiden and Mulholland Drive. Like when I first <laughs> read this email, I was like,
1: baby, what is going on? I was 15 when I first watched The Handmaiden as well. So that I think this says a lot about society. Um, no. <laughs> no, I'm not saying just like Sorry. watching it. Like that's
0: fine, but both capture my feelings and experiences as being a lesbian. <laughs> what? Right. How? What? Would... I have many questions. <laughs> well, I probably shouldn't. You're 15. I'm yeah. not concerned with the lives of 15 year olds, but like, I hope you are safe and have a healthy sleep schedule. Right. <laughs> and...
1: Right. Stay safe, kids. Do you think men can slay
0: sometimes, Sunny?
1: You know, I think, like, as a treat. Like, so this is the thing. Like, you know, your favorite movie is Disobedience, which is directed by a man, I'm pretty sure. But it's an adaptation of, like, a a lesbian book. And The Handmaiden is also an adaptation of a lesbian book directed by a man. I don't know much about Mulholland Drive because I haven't seen it. But, like, I think, like, there are... I think anyone is capable of doing really meaningful... And touching and a genuine portrayal of an experience. I think anyone can do that well. I I mean, like, I don't think you have to be any particular identity to tell any particular Mm -hmm. story. You know what I mean? Like, I I mean, I think in some ways it can be better or worse, but... I think that this sort of, I mean, okay, so in the book community, there's this like hashtag own voices thing where it's like someone who's writing about someone who's black and a woman writing about a character who is black and a woman, like that type of thing, right? And how that is being like pushed a lot, especially in the marketing arena, like people will be like, oh, this isn't hashtag own voices book or whatever. And the thing is, is that for me, it's like, like what I was saying, I think anyone who is a good storyteller can tell a good story that's the whole point you know what i mean like you can someone who's a good writer and someone who's good at their craft can talk about the human condition that's like what media and art is like supposed to be about and there's some stuff that's like more deeply personal and more intimate and more reflective of like one's own experiences like maybe like in poetry and stuff or in some you know like there's some mediums that are more conducive to that but i think with like film and tv it's so collaborative like you with productions and things that involve like literally hundreds of people to make and so many moving pieces i think it is kind of a disservice to the other elements that are really necessary to creating like a movie to sort of attribute everything to a director and attach that movie to the director like specifically and particularly N- not to say like obviously a director really like makes a movie and like their directing is what makes a movie what it is but at the end of the day it's like the story is like the story and I think like there is an element like I don't believe in hashtag like death of the author or whatever And I, I mean I think like your own experiences in creating something obviously influences the way that you create it and why you would create it in the first place. But I do think that, like, there are men who are very capable of telling women's stories in a really empathetic and genuine way. There are women who are able to tell men's stories in a really empathetic and genuine way. Um, Because, like, you know, not to be like, hashtag, we're all humans. But, like, we're all people. You know what I mean? Like, you're talking about people doing things and interacting with the world. Like, that's what these stories are about. And so if you understand the human condition and you're not, and you're willing to, like, to try to authentically portray a story, I think it's just about that. I think, like, you just need to be a good storyteller. I mean, this is the same thing about the whole conversation about, like, women should stop writing, like, male-male romances or whatever. It's, like, the thing is, is that, like, some people are good writers. Like, some people are good at writing romance stories and the two characters happen to, like, be men and they happen to not be a man like whatever if the book is good and people who are from that community enjoy it which like a lot of books that is the case and for us with a lot of lesbian movies that aren't made by lesbians themselves like yeah like that that's, it doesn't negate the, the reality that that piece of media and that art is, like, objectively good. And not to say that there aren't pieces of media that are made by lesbians for lesbians. I mean, there are that are really good. But, you know, I think, like, it doesn't have to necessarily reflect on you as, like, a media consumer and your values as a person. If, if your favorite movies are, like, made by, if your favorite lesbian movies happen to be directed by by men if they're good movies you know anyway what do you think i mean i think maybe for ezra
0: and his friends maybe the way that they're coming at it is like comparing movies that fetishize lesbians like by men like the way that the camera treats the lesbians in the film for example like a blues the warmest color or like a i don't know who directed below her mouth but They should be charged for their crimes anyway. Yeah. Not not a good (laughs) human being. So like those movies versus if you have something that's very heartfelt, that's also by a lesbian, like the watermelon woman or something like that. And you compare these movies, then probably your takeaway is men should not direct movies about lesbians. And that's fine. But then if you look at something like The Handmaiden, or for me, Disobedience, or even The Favourite, which is also directed by a man, and is another lesbian movie, Mm -hmm. they treat the lesbians and their scenes on screen and those relationships differently than things that are made by men that fetishize lesbians, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I think that also lends itself to what you're saying is a good storyteller is a good storyteller. Obviously, if you're treating your characters in a very objectifying way, if the camera is objectifying the women on screen, then that's not good across the board, whether or not that's a lesbian story or not. And I think that there's kind of a tonal difference I've noticed between lesbian movies that are made by lesbians, like The Saving Face or Watermelon Woman or yeah. even Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman and like Deb. They feel a bit more lighthearted. I've noticed. Really? Like, I was, I always feel like they feel so intense because they're like in the thick of it. Whereas like when lesbian movies aren't made by lesbians, you kind of, you have this, like, for me at least, like, the diso- like disobedience as a film is still so, like, it really gets me. Like, I can't lie. Like, it's my favorite movie. But even in those scenes, oh, well not, there's something that, like, separates it than, like, the way that lesbian relationships are portrayed, even in a quote-unquote lighter movie, like Saving Face. Something there that's different, but I don't think one is better or worse than the other.
1: Yeah, well, I was gonna say, like, it's not lighter, I I would say. I think it's more, there's, it's more joyous, I guess, even, like, with Portrait of the Lady on Fire, which is, like, a melancholy, sad movie, or even, like, Water Lilies, or, you know, anything uh-huh. by these directors who are lesbians themselves, like, or even the half of it, like, there's, all of these movies are made by lesbians, about lesbians, like for lesbians, ostensibly. And I think like because of that, all of what is familiar with all of these and isn't But I'm a Cheerleader directed by a Lesbian too. I was just about to name them as well. I'm going
0: through my lesbian film list on letterbox right now.
1: Yeah, Jamie Babbitt and she's married to a woman. So yeah. Okay. Slay. Yeah. So Jamie Babbitt directed But I'm a Cheerleader and she's a lesbian. Uh she has two kids. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I think like those are all movies that oh, what's the word, uh, that represent and, and showcase the lesbian experience is one that is really deeply, like, joyous, even in moments that are sad, like, from, you know, Saving Face, But I'm a Cheerleader, um, like, The Portrait of a Lady, like, it, the way that these movies portray, like, Lesbian Desire, it feels, like, intimate, or, yeah, Well, The Watermelon Woman, like, it feels intimate, it feels very close and, like, real, not to say that, in movies like The Handmaiden or Disobedience, they aren't. But it's like, it it does, there's a, there is a level of, I think, there's more joy and, like, buoyancy to it. I think what's, the thing about The Handmaiden and, and Disobedience is that they're both so heavy. And there's so many other things going on in the storytelling that is, like, not specific to necessarily like the lesbian experience you know what i mean like i think but i think like the movies that are directed by lesbians about lesbians for lesbians it's like those are like lesbianism like infiltrates every element of the story in a way that is because the person who made it is a lesbian i think Mm -hmm. it's
0: that understanding of like the more encapsulating nature of lesbianism where that is see, it's like I'm going to the grocery store as a lesbian I'm eating dinner with my mom as a lesbian it's it's more like always present where I feel like in disobedience at least which I can speak to the most what's the most present in all the scenes is like the Jewish identity. And then in the scenes that pertain to lesbianism and Safism, it's like the overlapping of those. But then in the scenes where it's not directly about being lesbian, it's more always directly about being Jewish. And like mm-hmm. in the favorite, which is also directed by man, it's more about like British aristocracy and royalty
1: and like- The politics of the court. And The Handmaiden, the thriller element is like always there. Even one of my other favorite
0: lesbian movies is Beat in Virginia. Love that movie. And that is directed by a straight woman, I believe, or at least a non-lesbian. I don't know if she identifies as queer or not. But anyways, Mm. even in those scenes, it's more about them as like writers and their like class status and their relationships to their husband as Vita and Virginia like navigate their relationship. This is a very fictionalized version of the real people, Vita Sackville West and Virginia Woolf, which is why I kind of talk about them as characters, even though I know that they're real because the movie is very fictionalized. But even in those, there's like other identities that are more present than being lesbian, whereas movies by lesbian is like it's lesbian from start to finish if that makes sense mm, yeah. but I don't think one is better than the other and I think it definitely is like what you're in the mood for what's your taste what are you going into the movie talking about Sunny mm-hmm. and I also really like movies where there's a level of like repression <laughs> or like yeah. like constraints yeah. on it yeah and so versus something watching something like the l word where they're just like openly yeah. gay all of the time yeah. we kind of we really like the scene where so there's kind of like risk or or like stakes to it almost i don't know how else to explain it so that also with
1: taylor swift
0: Yeah, that it, her stakes are so high, which is why we're so obsessed with being gay. The higher the stakes are, the gayer she is. Like, in our mind, that is how it works. I don't know why, I don't know what that says about us, that we love gay people on the precipice of collapse, but that is what we enjoy,
1: so. What does this say about us? But, you know, you know. No, We're insane,
0: masochistic.
1: I (laughs) I posted on our TikTok today a, queer analysis of Cowboy Like Me and I I tweeted a couple days ago that I was like I think I finally understand what Cowboy Like Me is about and if you haven't listened to our episode collab with the Archers both on the Archers pod and on our own podcast you go listen to that please it's they're so fun I think one of Madison who is a co-host of the Archers one of their favorites is Cowboy Like Me I'm pretty sure and I was listening to it again after I listened to their Evermore episode where they talk about like the songs and the and the album it's looking I was listening to it from a different perspective like on the plane like you know just just thinking and something that got to me about Cowboy Like Me is that I feel like it really is about the stakes that come with like being gay when you're someone like Taylor Swift because you know she's like you're a cowboy like me perched in the dark, telling all the rich folks everything they want to hear, right? Like, the rich folks being, like, Hollywood and those that control the money, right? And because the whole song, she's talking about how, like, never wanted love, just a fancy car, right? Like, PR relationships, like, the things you have to go through in order to get rich and famous the way that she is, and you can't, like, never wanted love, like, okay, that feels so antithetical to all of her other work, so what does that say about all of her other work? And then this song, which is like, you know, you're a bandit like me? Um, and never thought I'd meet you here. It's like you're, you're meeting someone who is also in that position, a bandit, someone who got their way, snuck their way in, stole shit to get there. And now, you know, I didn't think that I was going to find someone else who was, you know, at this level, had acquired this much wealth and fame and who is queer. Um, so now, but now, you know, I never thought I'd meet you here, but now we are, now here we are and it could be love. We could be the way forward and I know I'll pay for it. Or like we could be wa- the way forward to, for like the queer community. We could like come out, but I'll pay for it. Like all the- and pay is really important here because she's talking about money so much in in this song, and now she's saying like, well, that's the risk of it, right? Like that you you have to give that up for that. And you know, I was talking about this in the TikTok at the Lavender Menace podcast, and I think like Cowboy Like Me really. Oh my gosh, even the line like the the, the pre-chorus where she says, "I've had some tricks up my sleeve," like she 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 has shit that is for her that she will play at some point you know it's that evelyn
0: hugo-esque fucking memoir (laughs) autobiography that she's about to drop in 80 years
1: (laughs) the bridge where it's like the skeletons and both are closets plotted hard to fuck this up right like this closets first of all and the skeletons mean like something that you hide something that you've buried something that's dead that is in your literal closet and they plotted hard to mess this up like the queerness being gay like could have it really could have gone bad messed this up like it could have my career like this shit could have gone to hell in many directions um but you know and the old man that i swindled really did believe i was the one the one referencing the first song on on folklore but also like the old man that I've swindled the old man old men representing I think like Hollywood and also specific probably people in her life that she's had to swindle like lie to to get their money um really believe that you know she so this, this could be talking about like bearding relationships and also just navigating the like Hollywood in general and talking about and the ladies lunching have their stories about when you pass through town and the ladies lunching she has a whole she has like on just playlists called like the ladies lunching, and it's like a series of songs and stuff, which I think is is so interesting, and I I need to think about that more. But like talking about like when you has have their stories about when you pass through town, but that was all before I locked it down. Like they had stories, they were talking shit, they were gossiping about like the gay allegations. But then I locked it down. Before I locked it down, like I shut that shit down, and now you hang from my lips like the gardens of Babylon, and Babylon like that itself. There's so It's so loaded, Babylon, like as, as a word and as a place, but like hanging from my lips, like with your boots beneath my bed, like it's like hidden. The boots are beneath the bed. Boots are also gay as fuck, but anyways, um, forever is the sweetest con, like forever, like, like that idea of love and forever, like that's just, it's, it's such a sweet idea, but it's fake, like it can't be real when, you know, the reality is that like, you know, I've had some tricks up my sleeve. It takes one to no one. It literally takes one to no one. It takes one. You have to be gay to know that someone else is gay, right? Like, or like, in order to, it takes one to know one, takes one to be, you have to be at a Taylor Swift level. You have to be hiding something that dear and having that many cards up your sleeves to, tricks up your sleeve to recognize that in someone else. And then you do. And so you're like, you're a cowboy like me. Uh, and I'm never going to love again. And that's how she ends the song. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like, so, so brilliant. And like, you know, I just came to that understanding recently, you know, and this this is why she's a genius because her music can really be listened to in so many different ways and interpretations. And I think like this song sort of perfectly encompasses that idea that what we're talking about, like when the stakes are high, that's when queer art thrives, like that's when shit is so good and really gets the core of what it means to have a lot on the line um but anyways that was sort of like a what's the word a little tangent a side tangent about cowboy like me but um anyways
0: I mean, I don't think we're beating the insane lesbian allegations for saying (laughs) we like high stakes and then your slow reading of Cowboy Like Me and being like, and that's art. I don't think we're beating (laughs) the the mentally ill allegations on that one. (laughs) have we ever
1: beaten a single mentally ill allegation? That's another reason why we're the sons of J D U because they have always been so upfront about being deeply mentally ill and not well. And I fear that's us. I fear that is is our reality.
0: What's the exact quote from the news? Chris Fleming video? He's like, I'm out of my mind, but I'm open about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm literally out of my mind, but I'm open about
0: it. We are the sons of the polyamorous parents, Allison, Gabby, and Chris Fleming. (laughs)
1: <laughs> they literally yes. have a collab video together, don't they?
0: Yes, they do, and I'm obsessed with it. I rewatched it like a couple know, weeks right? ago because I was like, I, I <laughs> need this. I need this for my soul. Yes. If you study yeah. those creators very closely, you'll understand the core of Sunny. <laughs> of
1: why we are this way. No, actually. And how we relate to each other. But yeah. brilliant brilliant emails across the board. Yes. I think we have one more from Rain, and they said hi renaissance and sunny first off i just want to say that i've been loving the podcast i feel like it's rare to see a lesbian perspective centered and even more rare to appreciate how unique that perspective is so i enjoy listening to your takes and love that you guys range from communism to taylor swift Thank you so much. Anyway, I saw this article and would love to hear you guys break all this down. I think the line, Hadid and Kendall Jenner have also stunned in sapphic swag. Just set the lesbian collective back a few decades. Sincerely, a fellow lesbian with a word name, Rain. (laughs) Word name, so true. And Rain linked us the March 15th New York Post article (laughs) that's, that's titled Dressing Like a Lesbian, is A Sexy, Powerful New Trend, Fashion Expert Says, uh, by, I think, Jill Gullowitz, I think? Guttowicz? Um, But, yeah, I think I read this article the other day and kind of lost my mind a little bit because it's basically just, it's about dressing like a lesbian. Well, the, the first fuck, yeah. line, like, I'm what? reading it now, and it just says,
0: let honest. First of all, Die.
1: Um, help. Help. help! Wait, this photo of Emma Watson kind of slays, though. To be honest, I
0: mean, the thing <laughs> is, is that some of these women are just queer. I fear,
1: like fucking Bella Hadid—that's her name, right? Yeah, Bella Hadid. She's not beating the homosexual allegations. Actually. No, she's not. She never has. If you look if- right, this is just Kristen Stewart. Like, this is just a lesbian. <laughs> what the fuck? Are you no, talking for
0: about? real. Also, like, Dakota Johnson is openly bisexual, so yeah. a lot of uh, these people are just actually queer women. <laughs> right, right, Like, right, what? Right. Outfits that were once the domain of queer women, yeah, still are, according to this article. Like, right. no- <laughs>
1: like Yeah. Also, yeah, yeah, look yeah. at this
0: lesbian fashion. And then it's just, if lesbians would be femmes. Like, there's no, <laughs> like, it's just a suit, guys. No need to freaking... Go
1: crazy. Okay. Oh, wait. J- Jill Guttowicz wrote Le- Girls Can Kiss Now? Girls Can Kiss Now essays. Oh, I've been meaning to read that. I just saved it on Scribd. I think I'll still read it despite this... Despite her being the lesbian fashion expert quoted here. I think that the way the New York Post framed it is what's kind of fucked up. I think gutowitz talking about the sort of history and like the reality of what it means to quote unquote look like a lesbian like isn't wrong like the quotes that quote her herself as opposed to pulling quotes from the the models and stuff
0: no the the concept here I'm not 100% against I think the way that this article is going about talking about this particular subject is
1: yeah. what is and there's this paragraph that's sort of talking about like, however, while the lesbian chic craze is receiving mass praise, Gaudet says she's quote resentful of the adulation straight women are receiving for adopting the style for which gay women were once condemned. That's just style about for to which say gay women that. were once condemned. Yeah, and she writes in Harper's. Uh, while I feel joyful that lesbian fashion is so beloved today, part of me also feels resentful. Androgynous looks that lesbians were once shamed for, that were once visual identifiers among our own community, are now Urban Outfitters staples. Um, and then she says, it brings me great joy to see women across the board choosing comfort and efficiency over dic- dictatorial, gendered, territorial traditions. Um, and yeah, like, Guttawitz is not wrong in her observations. Like, she's just observing the cultural trend that is what you think lesbians dress like being the new trendy thing to dress like, and that's true. Like we see this, we see this on. I mean, I think there's these new TikTok. There's there's a new trend of TikToks going on right now about people being like queer baited, gay fished by like random people. I I saw this TikTok the other day. Oh, and I think our friend Anna, who listens to the podcast, hey Anna, if you're listening, um, commented under one of the videos. That's like a video of a lesbian complaining about how like everyone dresses gay now so like you can't it's like annoying because you can't like you don't know if someone if you're going up to someone you don't know if they like actually like girls like if they're actually like into you know into women um and anna commented and what's one of the top comments she was like yeah they all have boyfriends and then she she started getting the biphobia allegations like okay anyway insane anyway but then i saw another video that was sort of like this was so funny it was like a pov you and I think the person worked at, like, Spencer's or something like that, or, like, I don't know, Hot Topic. And so it was, like, someone, presumably, I think, a lesbian, being like, okay, so boobs, earrings, uh, fucking, like, some, like, gay-ass items, right? Like, these gay items that you're buying at the store, or, like, like, I Love Hot Moms t-shirt, like, oh, okay, okay, oh, you're getting this for your boyfriend, and that's, like, the punchline of the joke of the but video. so and, like, funny. How, oh, my like, God. And, the creator feels being the cashier at the mm-hmm. store where people will come in and get... And so, yeah, like, I think that the reality that, that Jill Gutterwitz is sort of, like, the point that she's making that, like, yeah, like, it's cool that women don't have to dress super, like, femininely and in a way that, you know, women haven't expected to dress. But the thing is, is that for lesbians, we have dressed in a way that isn't like that because we are lesbians. Um, But now people sort of, and I think this sort of, like, goes to, there's a larger cultural issue and commentary here about how feminist iconography and language and rhetoric and vision, Yes, and visuals will appropriate a lot of lesbian things. That's a really interesting dynamic, especially because like early feminism was really, really horrible to lesbians. Yes, yes, yes. Like like the second wave feminist movement was so yeah. I really why am I forgetting words? Ah. Um, Exclusionary, lesbophobic, yeah, I mean,
0: homophobic. Were, yeah.
1: But, I mean that's where we get our name from, were, the lavender like men. It's true. It's true. And it's also because um, Lavender Menace also has to do with the fact that, like, in DC, all of these government workers kept on losing their jobs because of gay allegations and also for communist sympathy allegations during the mid 20th century. So it was like part of McCarthyism. And it was like a whole thing called the Lavender Menace. Sunny and I had this exact conversation when thinking of a name for the
0: podcast.
1: Yes, yes. And I know that there is. There's obviously the, okay, our, our the previous hot take mentioned Red Scare, which I've never listened to that podcast, but like it has such a cultural sort of impact that I kind of, and I've heard so many clips. Huh? The podcast where one of the
0: co-hosts was on Succession and then they had an episode of yes. Alex Jones. Is that the podcast that I'm thinking of? Or is that the correct yeah, one? Yeah,
1: Dasha. Yeah. It's Dasha and Anna, I think. Are on wild yeah so those those girlies they run that podcast yeah, oh it's just funny and there's also a communist podcast called the red badass i think so it's funny that we are also <laughs> like- <laughs> Man. but anyway we're to for, get like, back the coolest people um, we are here
0: but <laughs> we're for the for the indie bitches um no actually <laughs> like the actual indie bitches
1: right, but
0: right. to get back to this fashion article i think tying in feminism i was thinking like The idea of like a woman wearing a suit, people like see it as like a descent of feminism. But a woman wearing a suit used to be a sign of gender nonconformity, and now it's pretty normal. And so, looking at women wearing pants, and but like particularly suits, and particularly in the public eye, like they used to be like a really big deal, like Marlene Dietrich Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. level of nonconformity,
1: and. But the thing is, is that we live in a society that has now progressively moved more and more towards a masculine aesthetic as the default. You know what I mean? There's, and that's what androgyny ultimately comes down to, right? Like it's, it's fundamentally a masculine aesthetic, but anyway.
0: The flip side of what I was going to say is about how Godowitz says, it brings me great joy to see women across the board choosing comfort and efficiency over dictatorial gender traditions, which, you know, agree, heavy agree. But also as a femme, like, and I mean, like, I'm a lesbian femme, the process of like getting ready, dolled up, wearing a dress or an outfit that may not be the most conducive yeah. for what you have to do that day, and the femininity that, that comes of with being a femme, culture. that is a part of lesbian culture. And so this idea that yeah. wearing quite practical boots, which is shown in the mm-hmm. picture of that Bella Hadid is wearing, in opposed to like mm-hmm wearing something that might be considered quote-unquote more fashionable or like high heels or Mm -hmm. whatever that you'd expect from a model it's like saying that it's like lesbian well like actually something that's very very high feminine and elaborate is also Mm -hmm. a very lesbian way to dress but none of these photos are depicting that they're all just depicting women in kind of loosely fitted suits which is fine I'm sure that's comfortable good for them I'm sure many of Mm -hmm. these women have had to wear many uncomfortable clothes and having a night where you don't have to sure live it up but it's just like there's something about it I'm just like also none of these women like look butch or like masks yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they just right, look right, like right. women in suits which is fine yeah yeah, yeah. but I
1: think that I, I'm, Except I would Crystal be more Stewart, in- who will never well, yeah. who will never beat the the hey mamas like giving the no. like, white tank top like exactly yeah, no, like she's Every, just, everyone just, it, She's for, always gonna be like that. Yeah but that, that's like, literally
0: kristen stewart though like she's not appropriating right, right. the history of yeah. wearing a suit or
1: anything exactly. like that like she's l- like this bitch the- is just gay like come on yeah.
0: <laughs> right i'd be more interested in reading more of like godowitz's perspective on this but the way the article itself talks about it i'm not yeah. like live laugh love, <laughs> No, the way it's phrased and marketed too, it's just like, Mm -hmm. this is... I don't want more non-lesbians to dress like lesbians. Like, I do not want that. I don't... Like, as much as I am, I have a lot of lesbian pride, and I think that lesbians Mm -hmm. are great and fantastic. As of the way that we're situated right now, I'm good with people, like, not stepping in on our shit. Engaging. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, and I think, like, even the sort of... There was, like, a TikTok sound about, like, oh, I dress like a lesbian, but I have a boyfriend or whatever. That was a thing, like, maybe, like, six months ago or something. It's just, like, shit like that. That's just, like, are you guys not bored and, like, sick and tired of yourselves inserting us into every conversation? Inserting us into any descriptor? Like, it just feels, I don't know. It's, like... You're being a little... This is a little cringe for you.
0: Like, just let lesbians be lesbians and let women wear the clothes that they want to wear yeah. without that being indicative of whether or not they particip- They are a lesbian or anything. Like, it's just... There's just a way to go about wearing a suit as a lesbian, and way of mm-hmm. going about wearing a suit if you're just a woman who wears a suit, and the same thing mm-hmm. with dressing very femininely. Which mm-hmm. I get into when I talk about when I start talking about the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, because that show's making me mm-hmm. very upset right now to keep talking about on my personal TikTok. But like mm-hmm. to me, Midge Maisel, especially in contrast to her friend on the show Imogene, is like such a clear indicator of like fem like lesbian femininity versus like straight womanhood femininity in a way that to me, Mitch Mm -hmm. Maisel seems to encompass a very femme way of presenting herself and her self-assurance and the way that she navigates the world versus Imogene, who is like her bestie, very similar in many ways, but to me gives very straight woman femininity in a -hmm. way that I just don't think that unless you have that keen eye, you're able to Mm -hmm. pick up on on mm-hmm. not not to use our, our, our one of our favorite words here on the podcast nuances, but the nuances mm-hmm. right, right, of right, right. of the presentations.
1: Yeah, but like that's what it looks me. like and how you navigate the world when. You yeah, are, and like, in the context stumbled, of like I
0: mean, a human being and like a life, like if you line mm-hmm. up lesbians wearing suits, female celebrities wearing suits, all across the board, to the eye, yes. But there are ways Mm -hmm. that this is contextualized in their lives Mm -hmm. and there's a person that makes these differences, which is why Kristen Stewart being in this Mm -hmm. article doesn't seem like right because like she's just a queer woman in a suit. She's just a lesbian Mm -hmm. in a suit. Like we know this Mm -hmm. about her. So it doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. for this to be a sign of changing fashion when regardless of the time period, this is probably something that she would have worn anyway because yeah, That's what queer women have always dressed or, you know, there is that history already before it was popular or a trend. But anyways, I digress.
1: It kind of reminds me how in last night at the Telegraph Club, which we discussed in a previous episode this season, like there is that like femme butch dynamic and we see how our main character who is femme and her relationship to like femininity and her appreciation for Like butch lesbianism and butch lesbians uh, versus like the way that her like straight friends in her life like go about that, you know. You want to take this fashion and you want to sort of attribute it and to women at large and and sort of equalize it to to any woman's experiences or reality. But the thing is, is that part of lesbian identity that is expressed through the lesbian aesthetic is like a truly deep appreciation for and acknowledgement of and attraction to let like lesbians and like a- an actual love for butches and for femmes. like you that's that's kind of the whole point like that's part of the it's, it's not just about presentation and what you choose to wear like a single item of clothing says nothing about you really it doesn't do it, it's just a piece of fabric like but it's it's about what it means like what does something actually mean and it's embodied through how you interact with it and how you interact with other people anyway uh we can go into the shared media portion of the podcast
0: speaking of women in suits and dope clothing
1: (laughs) so true let's get into russian doll. we need that soundboard that they have at the archers and speaking of like women writers and directors as well like this is this is also a tv show that is entirely written by women entirely directed by women that is a slay and i think it really shows in the narrative and the storytelling i've been watching a lot of like video essays about it and like reading a lot of articles and watching a lot of interviews today it's just you know it's a little bit of a fixation right now and also because i wanted to sort of think about it in a lot of different ways um because it's a show that makes you really think so basically to give you a summary of it if you don't really know what's going on so it's eight episodes right now we've had we have one season we have season two coming out in a month so that's exciting season one is eight episodes and we're following this woman named Nadia Volvakov, (laughs) Volvakov, she is this, she's, uh, we're, we, we see her at a birthday party, it's her 36th birthday party, and her friend Maxine is hosting it, and she keeps dying, so (laughs) she keeps dying and respawning, basically, in the same place at her birthday party, and really gotta get this, up, like, gotta run. get up, gotta get yes. up until the morning. <laughs> yeah, every time she responds, that song plays. Um, and apparently, they had to do a whole. There was a whole like legal battle around using that song because it was like very expensive to be able to play it that many times. Basically, because it just gets played so many times. Because, D- it it's even like the dies same so clip. Much. I would think that yeah. it'd be more about like how
0: much of the song because they don't play a lot of the song. You just hear like the first four lines over and over again. Yeah. It's very funny. Yeah.
1: And it drives you insane the way I'm sure, you know, our main character is getting driven insane because she is literally she keeps having to relive her night. But it's not even really reliving the night. It's more of just like you get start off at you, you start off at like a set a set point. Like and, a save point, if you will. Yes. It's very much video game esque and that's something that you know, is really relevant to the show and is mentioned a lot in interviews and stuff with the creators of it. Because I mean, Nadia's job in the show is being a video game designer and like programmer. And that is an element of the storytelling. that's like really interesting because if we, you know, everyone compares it to like Groundhog Day because, you know, reliving the same day and whatever. But it's less so a time loop situation as so much it is a video game because in an actual time loop like in you if everything was reset back to a certain period in time you yourself would not remember that you know what i mean like if we actually move back to three days ago I would not know what I experienced because three days ago I didn't have these experiences so it's more of like when you're playing a video game and every time you die you respawn in the same spot but you know what happened that caused your death and you know everything that happened that led up to it and you keep trying to beat that level basically and that's sort of another thing that is talked about a lot and you know it's called Russian Doll despite it not really seeming it doesn't really reference any actual physical thing in the series that is like really relevant you know it's more about the fact that, like obviously Russian dolls has this idea of like you know peeling back layers and then also this like mother daughter relationship and un and unfolding the outer layers of oneself to get into the core of it, like you know those are thematically really relevant to the show, but anyway, what did you think, Renaissance I'm obsessed first of all, I'm yeah. in love with Natasha Leoni. She's great. I have yeah. been for a while, and She plays, like, a semi-autobiographical sort of version, like, she plays, like, a version of herself in this show, because she's, she helps write the show, and she talks about how it's, like, really a lot based on her own experiences. Even, okay, apparently, the scene with the watermelons and stuff, that's something that happened with, like, her mom, or something similar happened with her mom, with, like, the watermelons, apparently. Natasha Lyonne, her grandparents are Holocaust survivors, so I think, like, she. Said in one of her interviews, like, yeah, my dad's my dad's sides from Bushwick or Flatbush, my mom's sides from Auschwitz is something that she would say. This show is very Jewish and it's very feminist, and it's really heart wrenching, but it's really funny. I really appreciate. I feel like this is a character where
0: Natasha was really able to lean into her own, like physicality like I feel like we see a lot of her in the character like the way that she speaks her accent the way that her body moves the way that she delivers the Mm -hmm. lines her kind of like Mm -hmm. her like the
1: New Yorker 70s New Yorker smoking like like badass. Natasha is yeah. just
0: a like a freeze frame picture of like seventies eighties New York
1: that mm-hmm. just like
0: mm-hmm. persists throughout time, but like she herself mm-hmm. is always kind of in that era. And yeah. You really get to yeah. see yeah. that in this movie, which I really appreciate. Like yeah. I just love that aspect of her personality mm-hmm. and her mm-hmm. humor that she brings to it. The um, what's the what does Maxine from- say every time when? When Nadia leaves the bathroom,
1: she's like, like, your uh, birthday, baby! My sweet birthday baby! (laughs) It's so sweet. Every single time, yeah. No, Maxine is a great character. All the characters are all... All the characters that you're not supposed to hate are, like, really endearing, I think.
0: Yeah. And the characters that you are supposed to hate, you really fucking hate because Mike yeah I'm sorry to that actor who played Mike I will never be able to look at your face
1: ever yeah like there are just some people who play without getting mad as hell it's like
0: the um Claire's husband and he was in yes I was gonna say Claire's
1: husband in Fleabag some um, some of these dudes just have Aggressively punchable faces, like is
0: fat, like, like Lin Manuel Miranda is one of them. Like I just <laughs> never- <laughs> Help. like oh Mike is like. I mean, it's so perfectly casted because if you accidentally oh, yeah. liked Mike, it would ruin. the the entire show. In the same way that if you accidentally liked Claire's husband, it would also ruin the entire show. So it's successful that way.
1: Or acted in a way that these characters would be in any way remotely sort of likable. Like they're just, they're just so bad and so With gross that on every
0: level being said alan who is a male character who is likable mm-hmm. is also crazy because the way yeah. in the last yeah. episode he goes about i don't want to spoil it but the way that he goes about the <laughs> last episode is the most roundabout w- ridiculous way <laughs> to about that situation but it's so accurate to like his personality like i get it yeah. it would have been out of he character would not for him to do it else. yeah, yeah. He, he, it wouldn't make sense for him to have gone about it any other way but it's just Anyways, it's wild. Now, as a media consumer, as someone who really, I think that I consume, especially television. Television is really my medium. Television and film is really where I get to shine in a way that for you, it's like books and literature. This show really like exercised some brain muscles for me, which makes me nervous (laughs) about how other consumers who I know are not as critical or as smart <laughs> as I'm watching this show are watching this show because if I'm if I'm really having having to sit with this what what are other people doing when they're watching this show do they not but it's also so popular but I'm like why do you mm. think it's pop- like it's the average viewer mm-hmm. the average Russian doll viewer what do, what do you think about this show? What's going on in your little noggin? Because I know we can't be cooking up the same thing. And if we are, I'm going to be upset. So...
1: No, the show is so brilliant. It's just so smart. I mean, it took seven years to make, and it shows. It's so good. But, like, why do If you haven't like watched it? it, you need to watch it. I mean, each episode is only 20 to 30 minutes long, and there's only yeah. eight episodes, so it's very easily bingeable. But... Natasha, who is a producer, director, and actor and writer of this show, like, it really is like her labor of love, I think. It really shows. And working with, obviously,
0: with Amy Poehler.
1: And the other um, director is is a lesbian, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, and like,
0: Amy Poehler is such a good writer and is also very, very much known for her comedy. But I feel like because of her like sitcom background and her improv background and SNL background, we haven't seen that much like, I don't want to say like intelligent, but something that like really makes you think. Yeah. And I feel like this, just whatever the chemistry they have in a writer's room or whoever they're working with together, just really. really Wait, Jamie Babbitt helped direct this too. Oh, from... But I'm
1: a cheerleader. That makes so much sense. Yeah, she... Which Natasha she is also directed as well. start... Ugh, yeah. amazing. Yeah, Leslie is also a lesbian, and she's also one of the head writers, and I think... Uh, or head director. But she was in an interview with her. She was talking about how, like, in the last episode of Russian Doll, Natasha has also referenced these other movies that... These esoteric movies that have, like, kind of curtain call-esque ending that this season does. But, um... Leslie sort of talks about how in her writing and in what in the shows and the stuff that she creates what she wants to give the viewer is a sense of completion but also with like more questions like you have to leave with more questions than you came with and they have to make you think about the way that you like she really wants you to think about the way that you interact with the world and other people you and she wants the show to haunt you and I think the video essay that I Set renaissance that renaissance hasn't watched but that i watched on 1.5 times speed today uh, was it's 45 Lady, minutes Lady long Night guys i'm not a bad friend it was just very okay. long <laughs> no okay it's not even that long by like by video essay standard well no not, i've watched it longer long like, three hours long
0: i just haven't i know i'm currently in the trenches of this iCarly victorious video essay series Jesus that's going Christ. on in youtube oh it's very God. popular 45 minutes isn't that long but i'm saying in in preparation i just haven't had the time to squeeze it in
1: yeah no and i've been reading so many articles and stuff that (laughs) i'm i've just this is how you know i'm into something when i'm doing all this research and looking at how other people have been interpreting it and people who are smarter than me and people who don't seem to be as smart as me That's what inspired the tweet that I made that was like me and Renaissance are like such cons because like we literally take no one's opinion seriously except for each other's like and it's true like as soon as we finish like there's so many videos on YouTube that are like Russian doll ending explained. <laughs> And the video essay that I sent you, that's called, I think, The Haunting in Russian Dollars and how there are so many videos like that on YouTube. Um, and she, sort of, you know, she references that in her own like video essay as well, which I think was like actually really insightful and talks about the feminist and Jewish themes and also like trauma and whatever. Because I mean, ultimately the show is like about like trauma and like mental health and like what it means to like, be a person and exist in a world with other people. I mean, every good show is about that, you know? But, like, this show is really about that in a way that... It really just hits it the, like, nail on the head. I feel like it it just... It does it in a way that only science fiction storytelling can do. You know what I mean? Like, because there's so much... There's a technical, metaphysical, and metaphorical element to every layer of the storytelling that I was looking up... Like recursive functions today, to trying to understand what was going on. Like I was, I was literally like thinking about because it's so. And this is why I love science fiction as a genre in any in any medium so much because uh, there's so much to play with when you think about humans' relationships to human relationships to to time and to language and to like in this way that feels it. it it's just so it's so technically brilliant, but also so brilliant, period. Um, I I, I just think the show is really like a masterclass in storytelling. There's really nothing out like it. I don't watch that much TV, but I just mean like in general, media in general, I really don't think there is stuff out there that that tackles all the things that Russian Doll does as brilliantly as Russian Doll does in such a short amount of time. And everything down to, like, the production design, like, the costumes, the sets. Oh, my God, the sets. So beautiful. Like, the apartments. I was just about to
0: say, those apartments are... Right, right. Not to be a lesbian, but I do want that New York apartment, though, so...
1: (laughs) And also just like the aesthetic sort of opposition between Alan and Nadia and the way in both in their set, in the way the camera treats them and the colors that they wear and what they you know, how they act of course, but like it's just like such a interesting, like dynamic Duo going on here, and also that switch, like episode three, when that's when shit gets real. Like <laughs> that's when Alan comes into the picture. Because before that, in episode one and two, Nadia is just like, "What the fuck is going on?" And at first, she's like, "Is it the drugs?" And then the drug—it's not the drugs. And then she's like, "Is it the like, what really is going on here?" And is episode two the one where she goes on the bender, or I don't remember. It's either or episode it later, two or
0: before she meets Alan in episode three. I can't remember. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: I think it might um, be episode two because she does kind of lose it pretty quickly. <laughs> she, like, I mean, you would wait, like, I, like if- i'm I'm not blaming her. Like I would one hundred percent do that. if I one day realized or one moment realized that no matter what I did, every time I died, I'd come back to life. To think that I wouldn't <laughs> do a, a quick little bendy, if you will. Quick quick little trip yeah. around. What what else yeah. would he do? I'm sorry, but if you don't All do the that, ways given the op- that, given the opportunity.
1: Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but if my body and my mind and my social environment would reset every time I died, I would literally do heroin. Like, I don't care. <laughs> like, I would li- like, I would literally do, I would jump mm-hmm. off, like, a cliff just to see what it would be like. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. the thing is, is that. Natasha or I keep on referring to her as Natasha because they (laughs) they feel like one of the same but Nadia dies in the most ridiculous ways time like the first time she dies it's because she's chasing after her cat named Oatmeal, who is another, like, esoteric... Oatmeal named. is
0: God, question mark? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Horse is God? Horse is Chiron? Oatmeal no, yeah. Is, like,
0: uh, watch the end of the series. It's going to... Oatmeal's going to be voiced by Morgan Freeman, and everyone's just going to
1: go, Oatmeal <laughs> is God
0: this entire time? <laughs> right, 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 right. Oh, my God.
1: Um, But no, there's, like, these motifs. There's a chicken motif. There's the animal motif there's the fish the the rotting flowers yeah there's like there's so many visually rich
0: this is the other thing is that it's set in new york city and we see a lot of very urban like city man-made artificial lights and stores with processed fruits and apartments that have a lot of like artwork and uh, like objects But then everything mm-hmm. that's natural, literally like the meat, the fruits, the flowers, the, it lives, like that much the lives of other people, yeah. that's the mm-hmm. stuff that really starts to become in which it veers more towards the grotesque. And then there are parts where it becomes mm-hmm. very, not really like bio horror, but like there's like a, a blood also aspect yes. that becomes no, very it, integral. It,
1: it's so genre bending because it yeah. also has horror elements to it. It's but it's, it's also drummy, so it's funny, common. like it, exactly. It's so it's funny. It's health, so smart. It's, it's time bending. It's science fiction. But it's, it's also everything. horrifying. But it's also about the mundanities of like your ex being hung hung up on you, and then like getting broken up with, and like your long term relationship that really isn't working. Like it's about all of these things. It's so so good. I but, think what really separates Russian
0: Doll from anything else that's out right now is that. There are a lot of shows that try and do multiple things at once. A lot lot of dramedies out here. A lot of people that are trying to mix the heartfelt with the comedy and trying to make you think and all this stuff. Well, Russian Doll, and why I think it shows that they took so long to make it, like before the public ever got our grummy little hands on it, is that it does each aspect so good. Like the horror Mm -hmm. aspects and the horror scenes. Are are quite chilling, <laughs> might I yeah, say? They're like they're, succ- they're not like gaudy. Like, they're not I'm getting tacky. Scared you scared the right audience. now? I'm yeah. yeah. Like Sunny and I were watching. We're like so- anyone, anyone in the chat is <laughs> scared right now. Little any, anyone's scared. <laughs> anyone's scared in the chat. But then also the funny part. like the and jokes are so solid. Like they took their time oh God, to write so these jokes.
1: funny! And like yeah.
0: the yeah. direction and they land is like
1: delivery. Perfect. Yes,
0: it's so good. it Doesn't run-liners? sound like. Oh my God. Yes. And it's not self-aggrandizing. It's not like, on oh, I'm this great philosopher monologue. And they're not out of context where like you think that someone's having a normal conversation and then character just goes on this like random philosophical character, monologue. Yeah. Like it all makes sense. It's all appropriate for the characters. The way that they go about their situation, the details that they remember and don't remember all makes sense. And it, it just like, it obviously it's so not realistic and that like I have not experienced dying and then reliving the same like five Mm -hmm. seconds over and over and over again Mm -hmm. but it feels like it still feels so grounded and like the characters still feel so real and so natural that you to have such a show that has such a a broad concept like a very what would be a non-grounded concept it feels so real like you buy into it because you just immediately understand the world that they're in even though you have so many questions like you have hundreds of questions but mm-hmm. there's just it's yeah. just so and it's something that you can only get when you're not watching a show that's like not a plug and trug sitcom not the same yeah. hospital yeah, yeah, yeah. cop drama that we've seen a hundred thousand times not to say that mm-hmm. i didn't have my grace anatomy era of course i did mm-hmm. i'm human i
1: mm-hmm. watch
0: television mm-hmm. you know we all have our favorite abc crime drama that we enjoy mm-hmm. But and see like this is why it, it just can't, can't compare.
1: the show wouldn't really work on network television. There's a reason why the the Netflix thing like it it works because you're you're gonna sit down and binge it all. Like it's it's not it wouldn't work in any other way because the writing would have to be fundamentally different for to keep viewers there for network television. And that's why sort of the original pilot for it or for a concept that predated this show like didn't really air and didn't take off whereas this show because we they were able to ruminate on it more and think about like okay what do I really want to say what do I really what what are the intents in this show like you can you can see how intentional it is the show is such a love letter and such an homage to like New York City so uh, Natasha Lyonne is from or like lives in the East Village which is where the majority of the show is set um and it's the apartments are all like on like the same block in the East Village and like there's the diner and stuff and there's the bodega. There's the primary locations are Maxine's apartment, Alan's apartment, the bodega, and then the park. And what's funny is that in October I was literally walking in that very park and we were walking past the buildings and the apartments where Russian Doll was filmed and my friend lives in an apartment like right in the apartment adjacent to The apartment where this was filmed at which is like crazy um and Natasha in one of the interviews was talking about how she was literally sitting at the diner where a scene was filmed in it and she was sitting in the exact spot that she filmed it and she was like oh my god like I'm literally living like I'm living on the set of the show that I made it's about me Um, oh my god and I just thought that was really interesting I mean I also think like looking at it now the creators of the show like a lot of these people, or two out of the five directors being listed here, are lesbians. Um, and I think, like, even though the show isn't doesn't have, like, a lesbian narrative arc that, like, is really prominent, it still feels like a lesbian show because of... Well, obviously the side characters are, like, gay, definitely. But, I was gonna say, I was yeah. in the
0: first episode... Lizzie's...
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a gay show, but also, like, it kind of shows how, like, I think lesbians can understand the way that like women relate to each other and also the way that women relate to people in general and the way that women are like the the condition of womanhood which uh, the show is also very much about um in a way that's like so particular and smart and interesting and the sort of like how trauma and generational trauma uh works and operates like i think like the show is so incisive on those levels because of the people who made it and it would be so much it would be so different if it wasn't made by women and if it wasn't made by lesbians um and it's see you can see it in every element of the show like you know Nadia is not the and and Lady Knight the Brave on YouTube sort of mentioned this, about how, like, you know, typically when there's, like, a male-female, like, duo in uh, in a piece of media, the, the man is the one who's more analytical and approach- and problem-solving, and then the woman is more, like, emotional and reactive. But here, Alan is the emotional and reactive one who's thinking about things from a really human perspective, whereas Nadia is really trying to solve this problem and thinking about this in, like, an analytical, cold way. She's the one who's emotionally detached. He's the one who's mm-hmm. too emotional, and... Their emotional attachment and emotional investment, that dichotomy, like, it's part of their oppositional dynamic, but it is also reflective of... It's also oppositional to, like, the gender norms of our society, but they also feel, like, really true and real to these characters. These these characters feel like these, like, real people um that you would just run into in, in new york city and like you know something that they also talked about in i mean there's a lot of like young in full like like carl Jung, the the psychologist like that type of like psychotherapy and there's also you know one of the main characters ruth is the therapist and she does like e or something like that eye movement some sort of some sort of like trauma therapy which is like really interesting because you know she's like the mother figure in Nadia's life and their relationship is so integral to the show and it's so lovely um and Ruth is such a great character uh, but like it it's just like this show every detail of it all the ways that the characters are constructed even like Mike all his throwaway lines or his background lines he references all these like major you know, world events like the transatlantic slave trade and AIDS and, like, and, like, the Holocaust. Like, he references all these things because he's a literature professor and his head is so up far, so far up his own ass and, like, he thinks he's so smart and whatever, um, and he's fucking all his grad students, like, okay. Anyway, and he's, you know, like, but the thing is, is that I think that is also... Something that the show is both, like, making fun of and also being able to comment on. It's commenting on these larger structural things, these really historically grounded and, like, important events, but in a way that feels genuine and not, like, a way to... Oh, uh, uh, like cheap diversity, or or you know this non genuine feeling storytelling, like like Nadia, Nadia, the the necklace that she wears is uh, her mother's, and it's the one that her mother didn't sell for money and spend her college fund on, and her mother has these necklaces because her mother's parents are Holocaust survivors who put all of their money. Into buying like this gold, this gold, so that the value would wouldn't deteriorate or just disappear if it was not a bank. Like it's these things that like these details and these little elements, even like the fish and the tank and like all these little things that represent these larger things that uh, that are not explicit and direct and don't have to be said to you the way that Mike Set talks about and sprinkles in commentary on everything in this like stupid heavy-handed way to sort of prove that he's smart whereas the show itself does that in the opposite direction in which it proves you that it's smart by really deftly and in the details and the crevices of the narrative like talking about these like large things and then it sort of explicitly emerging as we get closer and closer to the core of the story and to the center of what are these characters problems with themselves and their lives like like Nadia really has to she, Nadia is someone who like does not talk about her mom and does not talk about the shit that she went through even though it obviously deeply affected the way that she looks at the world and Alan is someone who refuses to go to therapy because he doesn't want to be seen as crazy and he does do not use that word in this house <laughs> as Ruth said we do not yes. use that word in this house and I'm, you know I'm like quote, I'm quoting a character yeah, <laughs> Ruth is the Ruth is literally the therapist in, the, in yeah. the show, so, like, so brilliant, and there's so much to unpack, and I'm really excited for season two, and, you know, let us know if you want us to talk about season two in, uh, in a future episode, or if that would be overkill, I mean, we'll probably, we'll do it for Patreon.
0: I was gonna say, I was like, I'm pretty probably. sure we're gonna
1: do it anyway, regardless of... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't know whether it'll be a full episode or not, but, like, it'll definitely be on Patreon if it's not a full episode, but, yeah, I mean, we're kind of late to the game because, you know, this came out three years ago at this point, but I'm glad that we consumed it now and not when it was in the midst of airing, because I think it would have been a different experience because of the way that as soon as it aired, everyone wanted to drop their hot takes about it and sort of make definitive statements about what the show is or isn't about or, you know, their takeaways and... Yeah, but, like, there is, there's so much more to even unpack, like, even the way that the, the titles of each of the episodes are so, like, interesting. The last episode is called Ariadne, and the episode before that is, oh, i forgot what forgetting what it's called, but basically, like, there's a lot of canonical references going on here as well. Um, there's also, like, so many parent-child relationships and dynamics explored, like, that are so interesting, um, and those, I think, weigh a lot more or not a lot more, but they weigh heavier and are an underlying element of the show in a way that I feel like the romantic and sexual relationships aren't, aren't so much. I mean, for Alan, we don't really know about his, like, family background, really, but we do know that his problems seem to be really much, really rooted and manifest in his relationship with Beatrice, and that's sort of central, the central element to his character and what he's dealing with. Nadia, what's central to her and what she's dealing with and what literally haunts her is her, literally, like, her inner child that becomes externalized as
0: as we get closer and closer to the core of the mm-hmm. storytelling and of the story we also get closer to the core of Nadia which because I think also because Nadia is presented as the more analytical one in the situation and Alan is so emotional it mm-hmm. takes a bit more peeling back the layers to see what is Nadia's core, which then we find mm-hmm. out is her child, um but particularly her her child self at like a very particular time in her childhood, like at a very particular age and kind of predicament that she's never really healed from and recovered from, mm-hmm. uh, which is also mm-hmm. why she keeps dying on her thirty sixth birthday, which is a birthday that mirrors um, uh, the her age of her mother. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But, yeah, and, then and mirrors, mirrors have, so. is, a is a great word, word because <laughs> mirrors are so big, integral big to, to the, the storytelling. storytelling. Yeah, all the visual elements, like the bathroom that she's in, when every time she spawns respawns the gun handle door and then also the art piece like there, it's almost vaginal the the light the blue light on the door and then it reflects on the left and right side there's a lot of symmetry and asymmetry going on here there's also the split screen elements of of a movie that I think are, are done really interestingly and used at, in very particular points um and there's also you know the mirrors start disappearing at some point they there's like uh, the, all these things that are there's like again more questions than what is answered um and uh, but it's but it's alternating with so much humor and heart that it's like you you kind of get whiplash but in the best way you know yeah like
0: when Nadia leaves the bathroom the first time versus the 100th, 100th time she sees Maxine for the first time, and Maxine says the same mm-hmm. thing every time she leaves. But there's this one point, a little bit closer towards the end of the series, where there's a lot of changes being shown. It kind of feels like the world is being flipped upside down in a way that's not only affecting Nadia and Alan in very obvious ways, but are yeah, affecting but everyone like he, else around you know, them. Start disappearing. And the way that Maxine behaves in this particular mm-hmm. episode is very unnerving because we've mm-hmm. seen Maxine be so consistent mm-hmm. after everything that Nadia has gone through and regardless of the way that she reacts when she walks out the door mm-hmm. but now we finally see a change in Maxine and that's when it really hits for Nadia as a character but also the audience because mm-hmm. like we, we we've become so used to the same 5 seconds like mm-hmm. especially once you mm-hmm. kind of understand that part of the show that when we see Maxine at the core be so different it really it's one of the horror moments that the show really yeah. plays into because we mm-hmm. kind of see this completely different person behind the mm-hmm. eyes as well which the acting in the show freaking amazing For because is, the actors yeah. know what's happening yeah but they yeah. give yeah. such a convincing performance every single time like Nadia mm-hmm. like like restarts it's mm-hmm. so wild like the mm-hmm. talent on the show is actually,
1: like, is it's yeah. off the charts. The cast is also insane. Like, all the different people involved. It's like, y'all really, like, and it's not even just the big names of, and the people that you're familiar with from other shows. It's also just people that you haven't really seen before that are, like, just so good. Like,
0: whoa. Do you have it? I mean, I feel like there's so much else to say about Russian Doll, but at this particular moment in time for this episode, do you have any other thoughts on... Russian doll,
1: not really. I think everything that had to be said was said, but yeah, yeah everything I mean, else that
0: will that may
1: have been said will be behind a paywall. Join
0: our Patreon so to get our further thoughts. True, because so true.
1: no, no,
0: this is our pack. No TikToks about Russian doll. you have to pay for our thoughts on Russian <laughs> doll. No
1: accidental
0: viral content about
1: Russian doll, no accidental right 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 indeed must uh, be
0: said euphoria and russian doll those are going behind a motherfucking paywall okay if you want to know our please, thoughts you, please. you must pay there's so much free content about our thoughts on so many pieces of media we must protect
1: yeah. some must protect some some shit yeah um do you have a recommendation i do
0: but i'm not sure if you watched it before so if you have let me know my first recommendation is have you ever seen Nanette the stand-up comedy special by Hannah Gadsby oh
1: no 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 no. people talk about Hannah Gadsby a lot though yes so
0: Nanette is her first special that's on Netflix she has two specials um and then she has some they came out, like, I think in the early 2010s, I want to say. It was, like, really, really popular when it first came out, which mm-hmm. was in 2018. And it's 69 minutes, like, about an hour of stand-up. But it's not really stand-up. And it's so brilliant and genius. And uh, it's also, like, hysterical. But yeah, her, she, um, Hannah Gadsby is a lesbian. And she mm-hmm. grew up in Tasmania, which is an island off of Australia. Mm-hmm. And she makes jokes about how, like, uh, you know how people make jokes about like Al- Alabama and everyone like is a cousin fucker,
1: <laughs> but like uh-huh, uh-huh.
0: it's like it's like that. So I, I'm, I'm assuming yeah. Tasmania has a very like s- similar lore in that way about
1: yeah yeah
0: incest ancestral lore. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so mm-hmm. she makes jokes about that, and it kind of just has that like small. Town, like the way that in the US you make jokes about places like Alabama and Mississippi, Tasmania is like the Australian equivalent to that. Mm. And growing up as a lesbian during the times when homosexuality was like highly debated, as in like the morality of being gay, yeah, yeah, yeah. and growing up in that environment as a lesbian and what are the implications of that? What is the internalized homophobia with that? How do you grapple internalized homophobia when you know that you're gay because it doesn't automatically disappear? And uh, Hannah Gadsby, I'm not sure if she identifies as butch. I think she definitely identifies as masculine, but she's very clearly uh, gender non-conforming. Mm-hmm. And in a way that is like innate to her, like it's not performative. This is, that's just who she is, um, and as just someone who's kind of very clockably gay in and yeah. growing up in a time and a place where that's not okay. And she's also an art right. history major. <laughs> so oh, she right. knows a lot about art history. And she just talks about all these different things, but in a very lesbian-centered way that mm-hmm. I think is very akin a la Lavender Menace. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we are also very funny and also very gay and so true. <laughs> she really like deconstructs the idea of what is stand-up and then like reinvents it before your very eyes she's very brilliant I'm giving her a lot of hype um but I know that some people yeah. don't like stand-up comedy in general and this isn't and is stand-up comedy so I really like stand-up comedy in general like I like watching specials So it already Uh is something that leans into something that I like. Some people don't like this medium. I still recommend it. But anyways. Yeah. That's my recommendation. I I could talk about it forever. But it's so good. I
1: enjoy a good stand-up comedy special. I did go to a stand-up show. Chris Fleming's, actually. Oh, yeah. You do
0: like Chris Fleming. So I guess, uh, yeah. It's it's great that where it's like, it's not stand-up comedy, stand-up comedy. Like, a Chris Fleming show isn't, yeah. like, your traditional yeah. stand-up yeah, yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. It's very
1: that. Correct. So, I think like, you'll like it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doubling yeah. down. No. It seems up my alley. Um, but, yeah, I actually have a movie recommendation that I think I texted you about. Um, Tully? Oh, 20- yeah, yeah. We're talking about that. Movie,
0: I think? Yeah.
1: Yeah, 2018. It's another dramedy. And, um, actually, Paris... <laughs> our friend who has lesbian moms uh, watched it with her mom today and they really liked it so they there's their approval it's about motherhood and there's that sort of trauma element to it and the, the sort of like human relationships and the tenderness of that and the humor and the drama of all of that is sort of portrayed in it really well I think in a way that it reminds me of like Russian doll but and it also has a an almost like horror or magical realist or or sort of unsettling element to it as well in its exploration of the themes of like motherhood and then coming of age but like in like a midlife crisis kind of way. Like, coming of age as, like, a 30-year-old, like, mom. And it's also set in New York, but in, like, suburban New York, but we do get those New York City scenes as well. And it is a really... It's a really solid movie, I I think. It's directed by the same guy who made, like, Juno and, uh... Fuck it. Like, a bunch of other movies that everyone loves, which, I mean, a lot... Like, I haven't seen the rest of his filmography, but this is a really solid movie, I think, about like motherhood and womanhood and of course it's you know it's directed by a man so that's interesting but like again with our first with one of their hot takes it's like sometimes men can slay you know like <laughs> there there that's my recommendation i i also do have a book recommendation i have a lesbian book recommendation i recently finished this rom-com that is a recent release and like everyone is kind of obsessed with it i mean i think for solid reason like it's a solid romance novel it's called delilah green doesn't care by ashley herring blake i've read ashley herring blake's book ivy aberdeen's letter to the world i think which is like a middle grade novel but this is an adult romance lesbian novel with a bisexual single mom who is like kind of curvy and has bangs named claire and a lesbian, tatted, skinny photographer named Delilah, and it's sort of set in this, like, small town, and Delilah is a New York City photographer, and she, like, photographs queer women particularly, and, like, and, uh, like, portraiture about that, basically, and both of her parents died when she was young, and so she has, like, you know, sort of lasting trauma from that and because her parents died she went to live with her stepmom and her stepmom had a daughter named iris i think or not iris i'm forgetting her fucking name but basically the stepmom had a daughter who didn't really get along well with delilah because the the stepmom's daughter was like sort of like more popular and on top of her shit, and like sort of you know People. she was generally like, well, she had a group of friends and Lila was super like isolated and kind of like the weird kid at school, didn't really have that many friends. And ob- obviously, cause like her parents died and she was also just like sort of a more introverted child, like artistic and, you know, like more, more sort of introverted and, and inward looking. And so now, you know, we, now that they're both adults, Claire is in the friend group of the step sisters like you know is in that fun group and now the stepsister is getting married and so she invited delilah to come photograph the wedding and she's like paying delilah to be the wedding photographer and delilah's like okay fuck it whatever like i don't like these people i don't like my stepmom or my stepsister because they were kind of like not awful to me but they were kind of awful to me um when i was younger and they took me in like they made me feel like a burden and this whole small town is a place that I never wanted to come back to anyway. I, like, I, just, I ran away, not ran away, but like as soon as I turned 18, I went to New York and became a waitress so I could be a photographer. And like, you know, so it's a really cute, sweet rom-com about these women who, you know, have some child childhood history, but who have like a lot of sexual tension now. And like, it's about their own sort of like we kind of get alternating perspectives of, you know, this, like, mom who really loves her kid and then Delilah, who's sort of, like, the grumpy New Yorker who, like, left the town a while ago and, like, has no one's seen her since and, like, she's sort of estranged from her living family now and there's a whole wedding going on at the same time, too, which is, like, that's a whole thing in and of itself because the guy that the stepsister is marrying is, like, a total douchebag. But, yeah, it was a really solid read, honestly. Um, My standards for lesbian contemporary fiction romances no well romances particularly is like pretty high uh and i think this sort this makes the cut i think it's it's pretty Pretty solid solid and i liked it so. so that's my other recommendation for this episode slay highly enjoyable
0: and with that three parts are completed the hot take shared media and recommendations I hope you very much enjoyed this episode of The Lavender Menace. You can follow me on Twitter at Renaissance First e an X and on Instagram at renaissancemarie and TikTok at renaissancemarie. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at the Lavender Pod. Our Instagram is at the Lavender Menace Pod. And our TikTok is at the Lavender Menace Pod. And our letterbox is at Lavender pod question mark it's all on our link tree but yes yes and sunny where can the people find you
1: you can find me on youtube twitter instagram at a sunny and don't follow me on tiktok so
0: Stop the <laughs> TikToks. i mean i don't know why Stop. i'm plugging my tiktok i mean if you can make my let my light stuff actually no i need more lavender menace followers on tiktok to balance out Mm, the ratio of the people that i don't want on my tiktok
1: no like people on my tiktok say the most insane things to me like not not just like on my political hot takes stuff but like today someone commented (laughs) (laughs) someone commented that they had a dream okay someone who i don't know anonymous account doesn't even follow me they Mm -hmm. commented that. that they had a dream that they asked me out and i said do you even date lesbians, or do you know how to date lesbians, or something like that? And they just left this comment under one of my random videos. I was like, "What? Okay,
0: so I need insane." A strictly
1: <laughs> enforced TikTok rule:
0: where if you would not say it to a stranger in real life, if you would not go up to someone and say these words, do if not you're, comment. If you're not answering
1: it. a question that I'm posing. Yeah, like what? <laughs> Like it's if so in insane. real life, if we were having this conversation and you would
0: not say what you are about to comment in the comment section, I don't want to hear it. Like there's something <laughs> I straight to delete it or don't reply, and people be like, unrelated, but I have this question. And it's like literally the most insane question you've ever heard. And it's yeah. like Yeah, when the, if I was doing my grocery shopping and someone came up to me and said this, I would walk away very swiftly would not answer your question like let's let's have some decorum people some manners (laughs) what happened to hello how are you my name is like like, literally i mean okay comments that are unrelated but are compliments always welcome because i'm doing my grocery shopping and someone says oh my gosh you're so pretty i'd be like oh my gosh thank you and then i move on always topical because people always like to say non-topical or off topic, but you're so, and it's, like, a compliment, I'm, like, always on topic, always will receive. Yeah. But if you're just being, if you're just wilding out in the comments, like, I need you to stop, please.
1: (laughs) And that's on our regularly scheduled complaining about TikTok. Yeah. Uh (laughs) I'm so sorry to our podcast
0: listeners that don't follow us on TikTok and don't know what we're talking about, but, like, we need a platform that's not on TikTok to complain about TikTok.
1: True, so true. Um, But yeah, so that's our episode for today. Hope you enjoyed. And, you know, I hope, you know, (laughs) inshallah, there's another episode soon. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.